All right, well, please open with me in God's Word to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis 21, as we continue looking at the life of Abraham here in the Old Testament, in the series called Father Abraham. But while you're turning here, how many of you have recently been to a baby shower? Whether you have or have not, we're all familiar with the kinds of things that you can enjoy at a baby shower, whether it's the nice decorations that are put out or the, the fun games uh, that people do, whether it's enjoying the time that you can spend with friends or the gifts that are given to the new mother, we all recognize how valuable and important baby showers are. But why do we have these showers? Of course, it's to celebrate the birth of a new child. What a blessing children are. And how wonderful it is for us to then join together as a new family is formed or as a new baby is added to a family. But what happens when we know a couple who for years has been trying to have a child and has struggled and has suffered and has yearned and has prayed and year after year nothing changes and then finally after many many years you receive an invitation in the mail for a baby shower from this couple that shower takes on special significance, doesn't it? It's an extra special time where we then rejoice that these new parents have finally have a birth of a son or daughter. Well, this morning, we also come to celebrate the birth of a baby. And this birth is indeed a special baby. Because he is God's promised son, whom his parents have been waiting for for over 25 years. So it's with this in mind then, brothers and sisters, we read Genesis 21, verses 1 to 21. Let us hear then God's word. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. So the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. 
But God said to Abraham, Do not let this be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it in the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba and the water in the skin was used up and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from it at a distance of about a bow shot for she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Now, brothers and sisters, let us again go before the Lord in prayer. Father, the birth of a child is a wonderful opportunity to rejoice in the blessings you give of life in this world. So as we come to hear of this birth all of these many centuries ago, may we celebrate and rejoice not merely in the birth of of Isaac, but recognizing, Father, through this birth, you give us an even greater birth to come in the descendant of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, our Savior Jesus Christ. May we come to see and rejoice in Jesus Christ then, Father, through your word this morning as your word is preached. And so we pray, Father, your word will then come in us and work in our hearts and souls in power through the Holy Spirit. That you will, Father, keep any distractions from us hearing of the glory and the beauty and the majesty of Jesus Christ. Father, I ask that you be with me that I can indeed faithfully proclaim your word to your people for their encouragement and edification as well as for the evangelization of those who do not know Christ. This morning, may we all leave here knowing Christ and living with the hope that Christ gives us. So we ask these things, Lord, in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.
So here in this passage, brothers and sisters, we find a contrast between two sons of Abraham. And in this contrast, we are shown that our salvation comes through God's promised son, not through our good works. That our salvation comes through God's promised son and not through our, through our good works. This is seen first in verses 1 to 8, through the liberty of God's promise, as we see in the birth of Isaac. So the liberty of God's promise, verses 1 to 8. But then second, we come to see the bondage of our flesh in verses 9 to 21. The bondage of our flesh as seen through Isaac's older brother, Ishmael. So let's begin then with the liberty of God's promise as is recorded here for us in verses 1 to 8. And of course, we all recognize that once humanity had rebelled against God, that we came under God's judgment and live under his wrath for our sin. What a condition then we are all born into. That we are sinners deserving God's judgment eternally in hell for our sin against God. And yet God in love does not merely leave us to live under his wrath, but he makes a great promise to us that he will save us from the condemnation that we deserve for our sins through a man who he chooses. And that man is Abraham. That's why then we have been looking at Abraham's life here through the book of Genesis. And through Abraham's life, we have seen first God's electing love and grace as he has called and sustained Abraham over the years. Second, we have seen God's covenant promises that are guaranteed as he makes this covenant through an animal sacrifice with Abraham and then is seen through the sign of circumcision and then celebrated over a meal with Abraham. But not only have we seen God's electing love and grace, not only have we seen God's covenant promises guaranteed, third, we have seen God's sovereign protection and provision, even when Abraham repeatedly compromises his faith. And when God's judgment is poured out upon sinners who are living there in the promised land. So here, after 25 years, more than 25 years of God calling Abraham out from the nations to then bless the nations, God's promise of a son has finally come true. All of those years passing by and God's word comes true. His wife, Sarah, has been barren her whole life. And she's past the age of childbearing, but God has waited until now to show that his plan of salvation is completely in his hands. And it will be carried out by his supernatural power, not by anything in humanity, in us. So now that the time has come, the Lord visits Sarah 
And we witness here in these first verses a miracle that she becomes pregnant. But don't miss the emphasis here in these verses. Did you hear them as I read them? We see in verse 1, as he had said. Again in verse 1, as he had spoken. Verse 2, at the set time of which God had spoken. You see, God's word is trustworthy and true, and he will keep his promises no matter how long it takes, no matter how long we may wait. God's word will be fulfilled. So we find here then that this is God's work according to God's word, which occurs at God's set time with God's chosen man and woman to accomplish God's plan of salvation. This is all the work of God. And it's helpful to reflect upon these things through further verses as we read in the New Testament. Uh, in Romans chapter 4, we see how the Apostle Paul summarizes what takes place in these verses. In Romans 4, Paul says that God gives life to the dead and that he calls those things which do not exist as though they had existed. You see, Abraham's body was already dead. Sarah's womb was already dead, yet God brought life out of death. And finally provides Abraham and Sarah with their promised son. So in verse 3, we hear the name that Abraham gives to the son that his wife Sarah bears him. And that name is Isaac. But do you know what the name Isaac means? Well, if you have a good study Bible, it'll say there in a note. It literally means laughter. Now, it's a rather strange name, isn't it? I know we live in a day where people choose a lot of strange names. Uh, strange names named after brands, such as Tesla, or ESPN, or Maybelline. Or names, bizarre names like boy, or girl, or nil. And I've looked all these up, they're real. But laughter. Now, laughter is a strange name, and yet it is also a special and significant name, as we learn in verse 6. But before we get there, how does Abraham respond to God's promise finally being fulfilled? We see here it's in two ways. First, he has faith in God by naming his son Isaac, as God had told him to do. And second, we see Abraham faithfully obeying God's covenant command as he circumcises his son on the eighth day. You see, both of these were given to Abraham in the confirmation of God's covenant with Abraham back in Genesis chapter 17. So you, you, you can look back at Genesis 17 and uh, read there in verse 19 about the name that God gives to Abraham's son. In 19, we read, Then God said, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. 
I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And so here in Genesis 21, Abraham by faith names his son Isaac. But then second, going back earlier in Genesis 17, we read in verses 9 to 12 of this covenant sign that God gives. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout the generations. And this is the covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. So we see Abraham responding to God's faithfulness in keeping his promises by faithfully following God in naming his son Isaac and in obeying God's covenant command and circumcising his son on the eighth day. But here we see when this happens, Abraham is a very old man. He is 100 years old when his promised son is born. But our age and our inability cannot keep God from fulfilling his promises. Now we learn more about the name Isaac in verse 6, when the, the name is explained, because we see here what Sarah, how Sarah responds to the birth of her son after all these years. That when he is born, what does Sarah do? She laughs. She laughs. But this isn't the first time that we've seen laughter in Abraham and Sarah's lives, is it? Because if you think back again to Genesis chapter 17, when God confirmed his covenant with Abraham, what did Abraham do? He fell down on his face and laughed. Because he didn't see any way that God's promise of a son could happen. Abraham laughed in doubt, Genesis 17. And then in Genesis chapter 18, when God again appears to Abraham to further confirm his promise of a son, what does Sarah do? Sarah also laughs. She laughs within herself in doubt, which is why the Lord then confronts Abraham and Sarah for her doubt. So here when Isaac is born, once again, there is laughter. But this laughter has changed from doubt into joy. This laughter is Sarah's praise of God's faithfulness. What a fitting name then to give their son of laughter. A laughter that changes from doubt to joy. You see, her pregnancy and her son's birth were the gift of God. And no one would have believed that she could nurse children in her age. No one would have believed that she could bear a son to Abraham in his old age. And yet here we also see Sarah's faith. And there's a confidence in her faith, if you look closely here, as she praises God. 
in uh, verse 7, we see her saying, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Notice the word children there is plural. So she is looking past Isaac to all of Abraham's descendants through whom God will bless the earth. And she sees past Isaac to all of her children with the eyes of faith. And she's not the only one laughing with joy, is she? She says, all who hear of her son will laugh with her. Why? Because they will join with her in rejoicing over God keeping his promise and giving Abraham a son through which his salvation will come. So Sarah is the first of many multitudes of those who will laugh joyfully of God keeping his promise. God's people then here are invited to join in this faith of joyous laughter. This is the joy that comes when God gives life out of death. So this joyful laughter is what comes to God's people. And we see this both through the Psalms and the prophets. For example, Psalm 30 verse 11 you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness or joy. Or Jeremiah 31, 13. Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance and the young men and the old together, for I will turn their mourning into joy, will comfort them and make them rejoice rather than sorrow. This is what God does in his work as he keeps his promises so that we will indeed receive the gift of salvation. Well, as their son Isaac grew, he was weaned from nursing. And this was a rite of passage that in that day took place at about three years old. And so, in light of this rite of passage, Abraham throws a party and they celebrate with a great feast. You see, the end of the difficult and the dangerous time of infancy is now over. And their child has survived so that he will grow up as the son of God's promise to Abraham. What then do we learn from the birth of Isaac? That God is faithful and true to his word. How easy it is for us to doubt as time goes by, though. As things don't change in our lives. As challenges and suffering increase over time. This is the threat and the danger we run into that our faith will falter, that our faith will fail because we do not keep in mind that God is sovereign, that He is in control, that He will accomplish His purposes, even if it's not according to our timelines, according to our 
hopes and desires. So as we wait, as we struggle, may our faith not waver. Over and over again, we are reminded that God is in control and He will keep His promises. You see, true freedom is found by trusting in God and relying upon Him. So we see here in the birth of Isaac, the liberty of God's promise. But Abraham has another son, doesn't he? His son Ishmael, and we read of him in verses 9 to 21. Ishmael shows us then the bondage of our flesh. Isaac was not Abraham's only son, remember? Because Abraham and Sarah had become impatient. Their doubt led them to stop waiting for this promised child to come as the years had passed by. And so he and Sarah came up with a plan that they would use her Egyptian bondservant, Hagar, to be a surrogate mother. And so Abraham marries Hagar, and this all unfolds in Genesis 16. But what happens? That Hagar does bear a son to Abraham, and his name is Ishmael. Now this took place years before when Abraham was 86 years old, which meant that Abraham then waited another 14 plus years before the promised child Isaac was born. Now what do we see then here in Genesis 21 that Abraham has two sons by two women. And as we turn to the older son, to Ishmael, Notice not everyone is laughing with the laughter of joy. But as we read in verse 9, that Ishmael was scoffing. Now the word here for scoffing is actually the word laughing. There's a play on words here. Sarah laughed, and now Ishmael laughs. This laughter is not a laughter of joy. This is a laughter of mocking. This is a mocking laughter that Ishmael has against his baby brother. So we have really this 15 or 16 year old teenage boy looking at his baby brother and saying, is he going to be greater than me? I am the firstborn. Abraham is my father. How dare he be the greater son? But you see, he's Abraham's son, according to the flesh, not Abraham's son by promise. Well, Sarah hears Isaac's scoffing, his mocking, his laughter. And so she resents his mother, Hagar. And she resents her son as they continue living in the house with them. And she doesn't want Ishmael to receive his legal right of inheritance. And so she tells Abraham to kick out Hagar and her son, Ishmael, because only 
Abraham will only have one son as an heir, and he will be her son, not Hagar's son. Now, doesn't this seem kind of cruel? Doesn't Sarah seem a little bitter, maybe overreacting to the situation? After all, when she tells Abraham to cast them out, they cast them out to go into the wilderness and are left to die. We even see here that Abraham doesn't want to follow her direction because he loves his son Ishmael and is opposed to rejecting him by casting them out of their house. But then we come to a surprise twist because God himself responds and God approves of Sarah's request. He tells Abraham to listen to his wife because it is Isaac who is God's promised seed and not Ishmael. You see, this history is not recorded to teach us morality. We're not here to learn how we are to treat women and children. After all, James teaches us to be compassionate in his New Testament letter. James 1.27 says that pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So Sarah here, it doesn't serve as an example, either as a villain or as some kind of hero. But this history reveals to us how God's promise of salvation moves forward in history through the birth of God's chosen son, Isaac, rather than Ishmael. Remember, Ishmael is the result of Abraham and Sarah's sinful efforts to secure God's blessings through their works. Not waiting for Isaac, who is a gift of God's promised blessing through his grace. See, God doesn't need our help. And we will only screw things up in our sin. Which is why we are completely dependent on God to keep his promise and to provide us with salvation. So let's turn and read a little more about this in the New Testament again. Let's uh, keep a finger there in Genesis 21, but turn to Romans chapter 9. Romans 9, verses 6 to 9, because here we see how our salvation does not depend on being in the right family or sharing the right blood of Abraham, as the Jews had thought, because Ishmael belonged to the right family and had Abraham's blood. Nor does our salvation depend on seeking to perform good works according to our flesh, even by trying to keep the law that God gives to Abraham's descendants on Mount Sinai to his people Israel. But our salvation comes through the sovereign grace of God, through his word of promise being kept. This is what we see in Romans 9, verses 6 to 9. We read there, but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. 
For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. You see, there are two kinds of children that Abraham has. You have children of the promise who are those after Isaac. And you have children of the flesh who are those after Ishmael. And these two are at war. These two oppose one another. Which is why as long as these two sons are together, a threat remains in Abraham's family through Ishmael's scoffing and unbelief. That there will be persecution come upon God's chosen seed. As long as Ishmael remains in the family. And God will not allow any interference in carrying out his plan of salvation. So Ishmael must be cast out. You know what's amazing? That even with all of this being true, because Ishmael is also Abraham's seed, God will graciously make him, make out of him a nation as well. That he provides him with earthly blessings, even if he will not inherit God's heavenly blessings. How amazing is our God then who provides for those who are not his people through common grace. But we also learn here, brothers and sisters, and don't miss this. That God's people cannot align ourselves with unbelievers. That we must be separate from them. See, as Ishmael mocked Isaac and had to be sent away, so God's covenant people must not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, as we heard read this morning in our scripture reading. Because these two peoples will always be at war in this world, and we must not allow unbelievers to associate together with believers. That's why we as Baptists hold to regenerate church membership. Only those who have faith in God and his promise of salvation through Jesus Christ belong to God's people in the church. It's also why we recognize the importance of practicing church discipline. That those who are among God's people and yet live in unrepentant sin should no longer be considered God's people, but need to be removed from among God's people. God's people are to remain separate and pure for God. Well, early the next morning, back in Genesis 21, we see Abraham giving bread and water to Hagar and their son, and then sends her away. She goes and winds up wandering there in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water runs out. The supplies are gone. And the heat beat down upon them, which would surely end their lives. You see, they are hopeless here in the desert. 
And Hagar becomes desperate because here they are lost and wandering around in the scorching heat without any water or supplies. There's no hope for her son. There's no hope for her in this barren land. So Hagar puts her son under some shrubs in his weakness and walks a bow shot away, just far enough where you take an arrow and a bow, you shoot it off. She walks that distance so she doesn't have to watch her own son die. Here she is, cast out from her home, left alone in the wilderness with no provisions left, and abandoning her son under a bush while she weeps and waits for them to die. Brothers and sisters, she wasn't alone. God was with them. And he heard the boy crying. So an angel called out to her and said, Fear not! God has heard your son! He's heard your son. Do not worry. But pick him up. Take him with you. I will make him a great nation. And all of a sudden, Hagar sees a well of water. But notice why she sees this well. Because God opens her eyes. God is the one in control of what we see and what we don't see. And we don't know why she didn't see this well before. But we do know God is in control. And he is committed to blessing Abraham and his descendants, even when they are the result of sinful unbelief. So she goes to the well and fills up her skin with water so that her son will drink. And they learn to live here in the wilderness. Ishmael grows up with this barren land as his home. But again, we see God's loving kindness. Because here, in the midst of their lives, in verse 20, we see that God was with the lad. God was with Ishmael in the wilderness. Which is why Hagar's son becomes an archer. So he can hunt for food to provide to them there while they live in this wilderness. And not only do they survive in the wilderness, but we see that Ishmael is able to marry. Normally, a father would be the one to find his son a wife. But here, Hagar finds her son a wife. And it's from, this wife is from the same place she herself had come. In the nation of Egypt, which stands in contrast, by the way, to how Isaac is given a wife. But this comes later in the story. But one thing I want you to reflect upon for a moment. Did you notice how Ishmael is never mentioned by name in these verses? This emphasizes to us. He has been excluded from God's covenant with Abraham. 
Yet we also see how gracious God is towards those who remain outside of his covenant in sin. What kindness and what patience God has for sinners. Yet without faith in God's promise of salvation, we remain in bondage to our sin and will be judged by God. Do not let God's grace to you allow you to stay content and live in the desert apart from the inheritance that God provides to all his people by faith. Nothing you do can change who you are or what your future will be under God's wrath. So believe in God's promise of salvation. As we have seen, our salvation comes through God's promised Son, not through our good works. Please don't miss this truth this morning. Your very soul depends on it. That our salvation comes through God's promised Son, not through our good works. And as Sarah was filled with joy, in the birth of God's promised son, Isaac. So we too can be filled with joy in the birth of God's greater son who fulfills God's promises to Abraham. Because this son is also our savior, Jesus Christ. Listen to the well-known words that we love to read at Christmas time in Luke chapter 2. Luke 2 verses 10 and 11. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This son of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, as we continue on through the Old Testament, is the one through whom God's promise of salvation is finally and fully fulfilled. This is why then we celebrate the birth of Christ. And as we do, we love to sing what great hymn? Joy to the world! We're to live with this joy of salvation in Jesus Christ. Because in Christ, God himself becomes one of us through his son as he takes our place. Living the life of righteousness, we refuse to live in our sin and then taking upon himself the very judgment of God's condemnation as God's wrath is poured out upon him through his death on the cross. So our hope is not found in ourselves. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ. Our salvation does not depend on ourselves. Praise God. It depends upon God's grace, which is freely given to us through Jesus Christ. As we believe in him and we trust in him and what he has done for us through his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection.
Let's turn to one more passage of Scripture, brothers and sisters. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4, verses 21 to 31. Because here again, we come to the Apostle Paul as he reveals to us how we should understand and apply the birth of Isaac and the sending away of Ishmael to our own lives. It's always good when the New Testament explains to us how to understand the Old Testament. That's exactly what we have here from the Apostle Paul. He even quotes from Genesis 21 here. And we won't be able to get into all the details of these verses. Don't miss the central focus of what Paul says here. Galatians 4, again, verses 21 to 31, Paul writes, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? <clears throat> For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic or allegorical. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So here's my question for each and every one of you this morning. Are you a child of the bondwoman? Or a child of the free woman? Are you living by faith in God's promise of salvation through Jesus Christ? Or are you living according to your flesh by seeking to please God through your good works? Because there is only one way that we will be reconciled with God and enjoy an eternity in His presence. And that's by believing in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Repent of your sins and all of your efforts of justifying yourself before God. And look to Christ, who is our justification who is our righteousness as we believe in him and trust in what he's done. Do not trust in your good works, but celebrate God's gift of a baby boy and renounce any confidence you have in yourself. 
This is where true and lasting hope is found. Not in the desert of God's common grace where you will eventually die and face God's judgment and sin. But in God's promised land of heaven where we will dwell eternally with God free from sin forever. Believe in Christ in this son of promise alone for your salvation. Let us pray. Father, how grateful we are to be reminded from your word that there are two ways to live in this world. Under the bondage of our flesh, or in the freedom and liberty of your promise of salvation. May we all be saved through your promised Son, Jesus Christ, and not look to ourselves or to our works, but live joyfully because you have given Christ in love for us. May our lives then be filled with joy. May you turn all mourning and sorrow and doubt to joy. And Father, we pray all these things in the name of our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.